Well, hey everybody, welcome back. This is sort of like the part two, you know, like like you got you like like you've recruited your volunteers, you have them in a room. Now I'm like, what do you like? What do you do with them from there? Um, this can be the this can be like the, even the scarier part than recruiting. But but to help us today, to give us some amazing, practical, awesome advice, we have L. Campbell here with us. What what? I, cheer. If you're in your car listening, make some noise. Cheer for Elle joining us right now. I can um, hear it. I can hear it. Can you, I can too. I can too. People are cheering. People are excited. That's amazing. Um, we're excited, I know. So Elle, thank you so much for, for joining us. And I was wondering, could you just give, could you just give like a little background of sort of your ministry background, your ministry story? And then also, mm-hmm. what is your funniest youth ministry memory? Oh my goodness. Okay. 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 All right. Here we go. Yes, I will do both of those things. Okay. So background. Um, My husband, Kenny, and I, we were middle school pastors in Buffalo, New York. Um, And I have to say him because, you know, we like did it together. You know, it was like this fun little like duo. We were like the king and queen of (laughs) middle school ministry, whatever that means um, (laughs) at our church. So that was really fun. Basically the way that we, that we kind of did it, we were there for on staff for almost 10 years And, um, my husband, Kenny, he kind of oversaw like the big picture stuff, the programming, the events, kind of like the silly, crazy, uh, stuff. And then we collaborated on strategy. And then I focused more in on, uh, like the volunteer culture of our ministry. And my role in like middle school ministry was the volunteer and small groups, uh, director. And that was the first time that our church had a role like that in any department, uh, where basically my whole job was just to oversee volunteers and kind of create like the training structure for them and really like just create that culture, um, where they felt appreciated and known and all that good stuff. So it was fun. I got to kind of pioneer a new kind of position in our church. Uh, and thankfully our leadership was awesome and they were like, we trust you go figure it out. And so we did, it was really fun. Uh, so we did that for almost 10 years. And in, during that time, we started creating a lot of resources, like things for our volunteers, for, uh, you know, just our ministry in general and thought, Hey, like these are helpful for us. Maybe they would be helpful for some other people too. So we started putting them up on our church website and just sharing them things like we did a small group leader, parent breakfast. That was huge. That like really shifted our culture a ton. Uh, we had some different game ideas, just all sorts of stuff. And so we shared them for free on our church website and it kind of blew up. Like we were getting a lot of traffic to the point where our church web guy was like, hey, I need you to get this off our website because it's, <laughs> it's like too much traffic. This is too annoying. I need you to get rid of it. So we're like, okay, well, I guess we have to start our own website. And we're like, well, what should we call it? And we're like, well, you know, we're kind of making stuff for youth pastors to use, but like youth pastors is too long to say in a name. So let's just say stuff you can use. <laughs> and we <laughs> created a website. Simply and effective. Right. Simple to the point stuff you can use. Um, so stuff you can use.org. That's how it was born. And we just started putting some resources up there. And, uh, that was in like 2011. 
And it's just kind of been growing ever since. Uh, for a long time, it was just me and Kenny creating stuff and putting them up there as a hobby. Uh, but as of today, I think we have a core team of 12 people. Wow, um, that's awesome. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, we are creating curriculum for both youth and kids. We're creating resources and training. Uh, we do an online annual conference called GrowCon uh, that's totally free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just doing all sorts of stuff technology for churches. We have something called Grow Numbers, which is like an attendance tracking uh, system and some other things in the works that are surprises, but they're coming. <laughs> so, so exciting. That's kind of uh, the quick story, the quick background. How, how was that? Did I miss anything important? That was perfect. No, and, and don't worry, I will brag on stuff you can use and grow in just a little bit because <laughs> as they're listening, I kid you not, it is, it is such good stuff. But I, I promise I'll brag on it later. But but you did okay. forget one thing. Okay. The funniest. Oh, the, the funniest thing. Memory. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So there's two that I could share that I'm trying to decide between. Um, one I've shared before. It's actually in the book that we crowdsourced called Youth Ministry Fails. And where we took, <laughs> we took <laughs> stories from actual youth pastors that they submitted in a public forum. So they were not that ashamed of these fails. And we put them in a book. <laughs> And it's very funny. And so um, I'll share one. Can I share two? Can I do two? Is that Go okay? ahead. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your grace. So I'll share one <laughs> that is about Kenny and then one that is about a middle school girl. Okay. So Kenny, one time, um, it was Christmas time and Kenny was teaching a sermon to middle schoolers. And in our church, uh, middle school was fifth through eighth grade. So you've got like little babies in there, like little 10 year olds. Yeah, yeah. And Kenny... <laughs> spills the beans that Santa's not real. (laughs) It didn't go well. There was a mom who like basically cornered him in his office on a Sunday morning, real, real angry. So that was, that was upsetting, but that's not even the full story because then like three years later, Kenny was doing another sermon where he was talking about the biggest mistakes that he's made. And he started to tell the story (laughs) to middle schoolers about the day that he told them Santa wasn't real. And I was in the back, like, what are you doing? Like, stop, like abort, stop. And <laughs> finally he like caught himself before it happened and like told a different story instead. And I was just like, this is why you need people reviewing your sermons beforehand, sir. Like, no, like that was almost really bad. Oh, so, that's fantastic. Um, so that was good. <laughs> and then my personal favorite story. Now I will say, I do not condone the language that this middle school girl used, but I have to use the language. It, it won't give you an explicit rating, so don't worry. It's not that bad. I'm just saying. I would not. Be a youth Mystery Podcast with an explicit rating? That'd be pretty <laughs> awesome, though. <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. That would be pretty awesome. So I had, I, when I was a small group leader, I had, um, I was leading sixth grade girls at the time. I started with them when they were in fifth grade, now that they were in sixth grade at this point. And uh, these girls, they were wonderful. It was a huge group. It was like 30 girls. And there was one girl in the group, though, who she was kind of like later. She was like developing later than the other girls. She was just very young, very immature. um, And just like she was small, like even and just like mentally, you could see like that move from uh, concrete to abstract thinking was not happening as quickly for her as it did for everybody else. And so, uh, she just wouldn't always be able to keep up with the type of conversations we were having. And so, uh, this one day 
we were talking about, they gave the gospel during the sermon. And so we were talking about just like, you know, people like what, like how people receive Jesus and how all of that works. And one of the girls in the group, um, she, her family works a lot with special needs kids. And so she was like, Hey, if like, like I'm thinking about these kids, I know with special needs, if they can't understand the gospel, like how does that work? And so we're talking about that and it started to get like into like a pretty complex like conversation. It was really good. They were really engaged. And then this little girl <laughs> who was the same age, but just a little behind, she raises her hand and I was like, oh no. And I'm like, yes, what is your question? And she's like, so can midgets go to heaven? And I, oh my lost, goodness. I fully lost control. <laughs> I laughed so hard. I couldn't breathe. I was crying. I was crying. I could, I'm, I'm like, I don't know how to recover from this. Like there are so many things I need to say to you and I can't formulate any of them. So that, <laughs> that was, I, I don't even know what to say to that. I know. How do you, how do you transition out of that moment? You don't. <laughs> yeah. You say, well, I hope you're all saved. We got to go home now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was probably the best and worst. And um, those girls were in my small group. I mean, actually to this day. So that girl who said that um, just reached out to us a few weeks ago and she was like, Hey, I'm getting married. Kenny, will you officiate my wedding? So wow, <laughs> so really awesome. sweet. We still know all those girls and it was a really good bonding moment. And in the moment it was very funny. Oh, um, and it's something we joked about to this day. So that's hilarious. God bless that's, her. That is hilarious. Middle school kids are dumb. Is what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and oh, isn't that, isn't right. that classic middle school, small group where you can, where you have those nights where you go in on those deep, complex thoughts mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it it's it's just a it's a far like a hard window. left turn yeah out the window yes okay. that's why i love them you just never know what you're gonna get and uh it's always interesting bless them always mm-hmm. always so well now done. i mean we we could talk about that question today <laughs> instead <laughs> if, you, if you'd like no that's okay i already navigated that one once i don't need to do that ever again so but thank you for the offer Okay. I mean, okay. So then I guess, I guess we will stick today with the topic of training and equipping volunteers. And and so, you know, we, when, when we were talking to Justin last episode, um, Mm -hmm. we we sort of asked this question at the beginning for a good reason. And that back, you know, at the last episode, it was this, what is a common, some common struggles when it comes to recruiting volunteers. Mm -hmm. And so I want to ask that same question now with us of what are some common struggles training and equipping volunteers? And here's why. Because I think sometimes we, we think we're uniquely unique and how we're the only church or we're the only youth leader, we're the only youth pastor, we're the only youth worker that struggles with training and equipping volunteers and we're the only person that has those specific struggles. Mm-hmm. And so what I'd love for us to do is just, just for all of us, just sort of name just a, maybe one or two common struggles that we've had in our ministries of training and equipping volunteers to sort of let everyone know that we're all on the same page here. We all struggle with the same thing. So, so Matt, what, what, what are some struggles that you've had in training and equipping volunteers in the past? Um, as far as training and equipping volunteers in the past, I think um, one of the common struggles that I've had, um, man, it's sometimes difficult when I've had a big, wide variety of ages and variety of uh I guess experience when it comes to volunteers um, where volunteers are on a different level. You have volunteers that have just come that are new to their faith. You have volunteers that have come that are, you know, a a bit farther along in their faith. And um, 
how training them and equipping them is a little bit different. Uh, I've, I've found and um, where you have to walk alongside closer to some leaders, you have to um, you can let other leaders kind of be on their, on their own um, volunteers that maybe have uh, more experience in leading in leading groups of, of students. Um, and, and the same thing goes with, with these, leaders that maybe don't have a lot of experience. So um, the experience level among volunteers, I think is a big, is a big struggle um, where uh, you you really have to kind of come alongside some closer than you do others. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Um, You have, you have some volunteers in ministry that are seasoned that have maybe done ministry in another context. And so, and so there's some, there's some differences there. So yeah, that, that's a huge struggle. Um, What have been some, struggles that you've seen and maybe in your own ministry or maybe from other youth workers that you get to talk to, what have been some struggles that they've had when it comes to this, this, um, this strategy sort of, of trying to train and equip volunteers? Yeah. Well, you know, I think especially as a ministry starts to grow and you start to get more volunteers in the mix um, and you just have a lot of things happening that it's hard to keep up relationally with, with, with what's happening Uh in your volunteers lives. And um, so what ends up happening is that, the more that you kind of let that slide down your priority list, which I think all of us have a tendency to do because we have more urgent things that need to happen. Um, you, there's a lot of things that can go wrong potentially. Uh, your volunteers can start feeling not invested in. And so they start to be less invested in the ministry because they don't feel like they're being invested in. Uh, and so you kind of start to see some drift there. Uh, but then the other kind of downside of this is that sometimes you can be really taken by surprise with, um, maybe like the state of a volunteer's personal choices and what's going on in their lives where you're like, Oh, uh, I think that was in our code of conduct, um, that you signed. And now I have to deal with this thing that you're doing that I just found out about that. Maybe I could have known about if I had been in closer relationship with you, but now I'm taken by surprise that this is a thing you're doing. We have to address it. Um, and so there's just, I think a lot that can happen when you start to lose that like relational one-on-one connection with your volunteers over time. Uh, and so a lot of people just, they don't have a system or a strategy in order to main that would maintain that kind of connection with their volunteers. Uh, and so you end up getting into all sorts of trouble uh, because of that relational drift that happens. So I think that's a huge one that I've had to deal with a ton and that I see a lot of people dealing with too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's funny because a lot of the time we will tell youth leaders to, to invest relationally in students. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how sometimes we tend to lack on taking our same advice that we're giving them about investing in students. And we sometimes drop the ball on investing relationally in our volunteers. Yeah. Um, I, yeah I think Elle, you're, 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 you're right on. Um, it, it's, it's a huge struggle, especially as your team grows and as, as more people become a part of the team. Um, one struggle I think that I've seen, I even in my own ministry, I, I know, is the best analogy I can give with this is sometimes trying to figure out which training to do with volunteers can be like trying to choose your food item off of the Cheesecake Factory menu. <laughs> now, I'm, a huge, I'm a huge Cheesecake Factory fan, but here's, here's what I mean. Um, if you've been to Cheesecake Factory, you know the menu is like, what is It's like a book. Mm-hmm. I believe it could be published, right? Like it's... <laughs> It, it's it's so like it's 30 pages or something ridiculous and so everything looks pretty good on it but it can be hard to like narrow in and decide what is it that you're gonna do and it becomes almost this like like a shot in the dark a lot of the time with volunteer training like well i'll try this resource or i'll try this thing or or oh man our volunteer meeting is tomorrow and i don't know what i'm gonna do for it um let me just throw something together here and, and so I, what what i've sort of feel, 
feel like, and, and El, you mentioned this um, in, in, in your response, is the more strategic and systemized that you can get with volunteer training, uh, I, I believe the better your ministry, your ministry will be, the better your volunteers will be. And, and this is something that, that I know Matt and I, we, we've talked about this before. We're still trying to figure this out even in our own ministries um, of, of what this looks like. There are seasons, I know for me personally, where we do this really well and the seasons where we just don't do this so well. Um, and, and so El, I was wondering if you could just speak into maybe some of the benefits and, and growth that you've seen in ministries that have gone to a more strategic and systemized approach to training their volunteers. What have been some, some of the fruit that's come from that? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'll start with my ministry because when I moved over into middle school ministry for the first time, uh, it was in large part because our volunteer culture was a bit of a mess. Um, so we had really, I've told the story a bunch, so you may have heard it before if you've ever heard me talk, (laughs) but, um, but I'll tell it again, just in case. Uh, and so we really knew our volunteer culture in middle school ministry specifically was in trouble on this one Sunday morning when we showed up and we had 84 middle school boys, which was amazing, like killer attendance. We were like, yes, this is great. And then we break for small groups and realize, oh, we have two male volunteers here. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> that is, we are about to be like taken over by a mob of middle school boys. Like they're going yeah. to just take control of the church. This is going to be the end of us. Uh, so that was pretty bad. And we were like, how did this happen? Like we have like 60 something total volunteers. Where are they all? Like what's going on? Uh, but we had just realized that we had failed um, at first of all, maintaining relationships with the volunteers But then secondly, uh, really putting in place a system for training and keeping them accountable. So there's kind of like two aspects when it comes to volunteer uh, training. One is like the management side, and then the other is the pastoral side. And I think we were totally sucking at both of those at that point in time. And so we were like, okay, we need to figure out how to um, kind of create a system and a strategy that is going to make sure our volunteers are not only held accountable for their job, but they're also pastored at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of what my job became of trying to figure out how to do this well. Mm -hmm. And so at that point we had like 60 something volunteers on our team and um, we just decided we need to come up with like a calendar of like what we're going to do to invest in all of these people. And uh, we, it like, there were a few things we tried kind of at first and like, you know, just testing some things out. But within a few years, we had this like repeatable system and strategy that we kind of use every single year. Um, and that became the basis of Grow Curriculum, the volunteer side of Grow Curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, which is like kind of our core product now. And so it's fun to see like the system that we developed just because we needed it. Um, and now there's like 3000 churches using it too, which is bananas. Um, but yeah, basically what we, what we try to do is to kind of create like hey, if you're going to lead volunteers, what's that going to look like? And for us, we came up with seven different ways that you invest in volunteers. And um, it's these seven things are not like a smorgasbord situation where you can pick and choose. These seven things are really designed to all work together. So if you can figure out a rhythm for your church where you're doing all seven of these methods of volunteer investment um, every year, that all seven of these things are going to work together to help you create like a really healthy, holistic volunteer culture. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the big picture idea. You want me to break down those seven things? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be great. And, and just real quick, here's my personal plug. Um, So last, so last year, actually last, last March, my ministry here, um, we decided to, to subscribe to grow curriculum. 
And, and so we're a year in now. So it feels like, you know, you, you got the, you got the final picture the, or the full review. Yeah. Um, and so for our ministry, just us personally, what this has done is it's helped us in a couple of ways. The first way is it's helped us to just have a, a more organized and strate- strategic mindset mm-hmm. when it comes to all areas of our ministry, including volunteer development, but in all areas of our ministry, um, uh, us personally, we've, we've felt more organized this year than we've ever felt before. I'm and so glad. Feeling. Yeah, you all, you all I mean, it, it works. The stuff works. Um, and so that's been one big area. And the other area that's happened is, is we've able, because we've been a little more organized on the front end, mm-hmm. we've been able to help develop um, student leaders and, and some of our leaders and, and youth staff in some different ways. Mm-hmm. We've been able, speaking-wise, to get give some chances to, to other staff members of ours. Um, student leadership, we've able, been able to dive into that because we've actually had the time for it because guess yeah. what? We've been more organized, and, and, and yeah. it's helped us out. Um, so, so just that's my personal plug of our ministry. Oh so, and it is fantastic. Um, what Ellen Kenny do is is so good. It's so smart. So they didn't they didn't tell me to say that. That's just that's me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you are it's so, so kind. So I good. love it. That's so yeah. good to hear. And I mean, yeah, because that's that's really like what happened to us is that we realized that we had freed ourselves up by having the system that we thought through at the beginning of every year um, and that we didn't have to like scramble on a monthly or weekly basis to figure out, first of all, what are we going to do this week to train our volunteers? But then also there were just less fires to put out because our, our team was just healthier. Uh, And I know, was that Justin Herman that you talked to about recruiting? Yeah. Okay. Um, so he, so we, I, I know Justin Herman and I love Justin Herman. Um, I love hate Justin Herman, which I tell him that all the time. (laughs) so and justin actually served in our ministry for a little bit really okay yeah he was one of our volunteers for a little bit um i don't think i had been on staff at that point so i don't think i was his boss but let's just pretend i was his boss let's Let's, that's even if we're gonna pretend absolutely that's great great. um (laughs) thank you uh yeah so we just kind of saw like less fires that we had to put out because our team overall was healthier and our team overall was growing and so um there's like definitely like a really important interplay between volunteer culture and recruitment. Um, And so I'm glad that you guys are doing these back to back because when you create a culture that is healthy, you will have to do less recruiting because your volunteers will recruit for you. And um, on the same, on kind of the other hand, if you are recruiting hard, you could be the best recruiter in the whole world. But if your volunteer culture sucks, you're going to bring people into the door and then they're going to (laughs) run because they're like, yikes, it's crazy here. I got to get out of here. So you really do need to have this like healthy interplay between uh, both culture and uh, recruitment. That's um, so good. Um, Elle, before you uh, jump into this one-year strategy for investing in volunteers, um, one of the things that we made note of is um, I, I love the fact that you mentioned um, you noticed where you were lacking and then you came up with this system and strategy in play, that you put in place. Um, you, you know, putting that system and strategy in place shows that you as a leader, you have a vision that people can latch on to. Um, it shows that you're organized. You have a, a, a why behind every what that, you, that you're doing. So you had a reason for why you did it. Um, and then it shows that you can be trusted. It shows that you, uh, as, as a leader, you can be trusted. It shows a sign of stability. It shows that you're an anchor. So I love the fact that you mentioned that. And, um, you know, hey, hey, we, ha- we, have a, we have an issue here. We have a problem. We ha- um, what are we going to do to fix that? Yeah. Um, so I, I love that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, just being like, okay with the fact that you have shortcomings and being willing to just acknowledge what they are is the first step in solving problems. Like you have to admit there's a problem before you can fix it. So, um, so yeah, so basically here's what we did. So we came up with these seven ways to invest in volunteers 
Again, we believe all seven of these things need to be happening at, in some kind of rhythm throughout the year. Um, so it might sound overwhelming for a second, but I'll explain about why it's not. So, okay, here are the seven. Number one, events, a volunteer event. I would personally only do one of these a year, which would be like your big vision casting event for your volunteers. Um, I know some people like to do kind of a mid-year one to recast vision and stuff. Uh, we prefer just doing one a year. That's easiest for us. So get everybody up, like inspired, pumped up for the new coming school year. Just do one event a year. Um, meetings. Now, I know a lot of people have different rhythms for how often they do meetings. Some people like to do every month. Some people like to do a weekly huddle before service. Um, for us, the rhythm that worked best for us was we just wanted to get all of our volunteers together on an every other month basis. So that means six times a year, we wanted all of our volunteers together in the same room to kind of work together as a team. Uh, now, so that's six, six times a year. One of those was our event that I just talked about. So that brings us down to five. But then if you think about the course of the year, um, there's kind of like some parties I think you want to have. <laughs> there's like a Christmas party. Cause like when Christmas comes around, nobody wants to have a meeting. So, uh, we'll, we'll bring that down to four now and then an end of the year party. So that brings us down to three. So that means every year we wanted to come up with three really good felt need training topics to train our volunteers on. And so what we would do is, depending on what the content was, we would either train all of our volunteers all together on the same subject, or we might split up into different volunteer teams. If you have like that number of volunteers where you have different specialized teams, uh, you can kind of break up and do more specialized training that way. Um, but yeah, so just three meetings a year is what we ended up doing. Um, then another thing we would do was what we would call discussion groups. And we would do these anywhere from two to six times a year, just depending, first of all, how many volunteers you have, and then also just depending on schedule. Um, what these discussion groups were, were um, an opportunity for us to get um, smaller groups of volunteers together and have them kind of troubleshoot each other's problems. And so it wasn't really led by us. We kind of just facilitated. And this was something we tried. Uh, just as like a little experiment. And it went so well that we were like, oh man, we have to make this a regular thing because what we saw happening um, was we would get, let's say we got a few small group leaders together in a room um, and we would just ask really open-ended questions like, hey, what's the best thing that you've done in your, in your small group recently? Like what's really working for you? And our small group leaders would just share wins. And then we would sit there and not speak. And the thing that was amazing is our small group leaders would be like, wait, what did you do? Like they're taking notes on each other's ideas. Um, they're kind of saying like, I don't know if that's going to work in my group because, you know, whatever, these reasons. And then they would troubleshoot those different scenarios together. And so we just kind of sat back and took notes and we were like, look at how smart you all are. This is great. Um, and so we would just ask strategic questions and then let them go. And the cool thing about that type of environment was it really flipped the traditional volunteer training on its head where, you know, we as the ministry leader would stand up and be the expert and train all of our volunteers. These environments were meant to say like, hey, you guys are experts and we're here to learn from you. So let's all share ideas together. Um, and so those were really powerful. And I think it gave, um, they gave us some new ideas that we hadn't had they gave us better perspective of like what the kind of in the trenches struggles were of our volunteers. And it also got us more buy-in from our volunteers because they realized, oh, these people don't think that they know everything. They actually know that we know some things too, and they're willing to listen. So those discussion groups were huge. Um, another thing we would do regularly would be one-on-one -on -one conversations with our volunteers. 
Um, depending how many volunteers you have will determine how often you need to do this. But in general, we wanted to make sure every volunteer had like two opportunities a year to have like coffee with us and just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Um, then there's communication. You got to actually talk to your team and let them know what's going on once in a while, um, preferably regularly. So we would say every week you need to be sending um, an email to all of your volunteers to let them know what's going on. And because not everybody is great at checking their emails, you can then repurpose the content you write in your emails on social media or send it via text, all sorts of things. But um, email is still a great hub for communication. So that's a good place to start. And then you can kind of springboard and use different uh, communication channels after that. Mm -hmm. um, so communication and then celebration. This is number six, by the way, for those of you who are taking notes or trying to count in your head. Um, this is the six method. Your volunteers need to be celebrated. And so there are ways you can do that on an annual basis, a monthly basis, and a weekly basis. What I would say is every year, plan at least one party. Um, we would do a Christmas party and an end of the year party. And let those just be times to like love on your volunteers, give them gifts, like celebrate them publicly, do whatever you need to do. Um, monthly, we really liked celebrating weird holidays like uh, miniature golf day or <laughs> like world emoji day or unicorn day. There's so many weird holidays out there. And fam, like we are youth pastors. We know how to turn weird ideas into whatever we want them to be. <laughs> And so you can, you can, it's a gift turn. and a curse, honestly, <laughs> it, is, it is, it is, it is a gift and a curse. And so you can take all of these weird holidays and turn them into amazing ways to celebrate your volunteers. If you just think a little creatively, it could be a gift that you give them. It could be like, just write them a card on a unicorn themed, like Hallmark card or something. There's just so many like dumb things you can do. But the point is every month do something silly and special that makes your volunteers remember that you're thinking about them. Um, and then weekly, send somebody a thank you card. I don't care who it is. Just pick somebody on your team and write them a thank you card. Uh, so yeah, so that's celebration. And then the very last one, uh, this is number seven, uh, ways to invest in your volunteers would be by giving them helpful tools. And that's something that we realized pretty quickly is that, you know, we had done a lot of talking at our volunteers for a long time, telling them what to do. Um, you know, oh, we want you to, to partner with parents. We want you to mentor students but we hadn't really given them a ton of practical tools to help make that happen. And so we started just kind of coming up with like really practical things that they could take and use to make their jobs easier. So things like uh, we made them all business cards with their faces on them. So we put their faces and their um, service time and the grade that they worked with and their phone number and all that stuff on these cute little business cards. And we gave them a big stack of those at the beginning of the school year and said, okay, hand these out to all of your students, hand them out to parents when you meet them. Just these are your business cards. Go for it. And because what we had been seeing, like the struggle that we had heard uh, in those discussion groups was that, you know, our volunteers were frustrated because they're like, I feel like my students don't remember which small group they're in when they, cause they only come once a month, they show up and they're like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. And so these business cards were like a way to seal the deal. They're like, this is me. Hang on to this. I'm your small group leader. Um, so yeah, there's just some tools that we ended up creating to help solve problems and then um, hopefully prevent problems that we were anticipating they might have. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the seven ways and they're all happening in different rhythms throughout the year. It's not like you have to be thinking about all seven all the time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the idea. If we can do all seven of those things in a rhythm that works for us in our church context, mm -hmm. then you'll be kind of both um, pastoring and also managing 
your volunteers in a more effective way. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. And 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 like you said, that was that was my biggest observation. I, um, as I'm following along, taking notes too. Um, you know, I had management and pastoral written at the top of the top of my page, and I noticed that each of those things it it hit on either one or the other, or even sometimes both. Yeah. Um, to be able to be able to accomplish those things, and so so yeah, this 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 is so good. Um, now just you know, so so if I'm a so if I'm a so if I'm a youth worker mm-hmm. and I'm hearing all this, yep, um, and I'm hearing these seven things. Sort of when it comes to when it comes to like if I have my calendar in front of me, let's let's say we're planning for next school year. Yep. I have August 2019 to July 2020 in front of me. Yep. What would be sort of your your suggestion when it comes to just just sort of starting to sketch some of these out? Yeah. Um, so what would be a good starting point when it comes to getting these on the calendar? Because I think there is this this bigger of a more of a drive when you put something on a calendar. But whether it's public or not, um, yep. but, but there is this more of a drive to get something done and, and to make it happen when it goes on e- either a personal or a public calendar. So sort of how, what would you suggest for a youth worker who might be saying, okay, I want to do these seven things. Um, so, so where do I begin? How do I start plugging this stuff in? What, what should I do next? Yeah, totally. Yes. I agree with everything you're saying, The putting it on a calendar just kind of helps you make sure it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you the quick answer. If you want a slightly longer answer, we actually put together a free video. If you go to growcurriculum.org slash meeting, uh, you can actually see us build an entire calendar for the entire year, uh, including all of like this volunteer stuff. So if you want the long version, go there, but I'll give you the short version now. So, okay, I'm going to go back through in the same order I gave them to you because this is actually the order that we put them on our calendar to. So first one, events. Like I said, we only do one of those a year. I would put that in August in the beginning of the school year. Second one would be meetings. Um, What I would do is you've already got August on the calendar. So then because I like to do those on an every other month basis, I would just stagger those. So you start in August, uh, you already have your event there. So skip that one. Uh, Skip September, put it in October. Skip November, put a meeting in December, but just remember that one's going to be a party. Party. <laughs> Skip January, put a meeting in February, put another one in April, and then put your last one in June. But just remember that one is also going to be a party, the end of the year party. Um, so that's the first two. You've got events and meetings on the calendar. And if you're looking at it, that means that your whole team is going to be together at least every other month. Mm-hmm. Um, then you can go to your discussion groups. Now your discussion groups, that kind of depends how many volunteers you have. Uh, if you only have a handful, then maybe you just do like one or two discussion groups throughout the year. Um, if you have like a bunch of volunteers with different, um, specialties, then maybe you do one like every other month. I don't know. It's kind of up to you. Um, but I would just place those on the calendar in months where you're not already doing a meeting or an event. Uh, cause you don't want to overwhelm people with like having to show up to too much stuff. So put those in kind of one of those off months. Then you've got your one-on-one conversations. Um, I would personally put these every single month of your calendar, potentially every single week, depending how many volunteers you have. Um, But just to make sure that like at least once a month, you are having a conversation with somebody who's already on your team or maybe somebody who you want to be on your team uh, to just kind of connect with them, get feedback uh, and maybe some like accountability. Uh, Then you've got communication. Like I said, I would put that on the calendar every single week, send an email, make it happen. 
And celebration, I would put that every month and every week if you can. So it just depends what kind of calendar you're working with. If you're just working, looking at a monthly calendar, um, I would put that on the calendar every month and pick a different holiday to celebrate every month. Um, that'll give you something fun to kind of look forward to when it comes to celebration and kind of a way to theme out your celebration so it doesn't feel redundant. Uh, but then what you can do every week is just put a, like a reminder on your calendar um, that like maybe every Monday morning, as soon as you get into the office, you just write one thank you card to somebody who you saw do something awesome that week. And the reason I think it's important to have that on the calendar every week is not just for your volunteers, but also for you, because when you build in that habit of gratitude, um, it's going to change the way that you look at your volunteer team and the way that you treat them ultimately. Um, so I would put that there primarily for you and secondarily for your volunteers. Um, and then the last one would be the tools. And so this kind of just depends like, you know, what kind of tools you're trying to create, how often you want to put them out there. Um, I find that August is a great time to hand out a bunch of really helpful tools and then like replenish them at like key times throughout the year. So in August, you know, I would give my volunteers like small group leader business cards. Uh, like I mentioned, I would give them these goal sheets that had, um, I would replenish these like every semester and they would just have five goals on them of like, Hey, this semester, here are five really simple things we would love for you to accomplish. And then uh, I would actually gamify it too. So, so I would say like, Hey, if you do all five of these, five of these things, let me know. Cause I'm going to give you a present and then they could win prizes if they did all of their goals. <laughs> um, so that worked very well, actually. I, I recommend it. Um, so we would just do a bunch of uh, different uh, tools in August, mm -hmm. replenish a lot of them in January and then kind of just as needed. Um, another thing you can do too is, uh, and we do this with Grow. So if you're using this, we've done some of the legwork on this for you. But I like to give volunteers some a, help, a helpful resource every week through their email. And mm -hmm. so what I do at like the beginning of the year when we're kind of planning out everything is I'll look at things like, um, you know, what we're teaching that month or, you know, what could like, if there are events coming up or what our discipleship focus is for that quarter um, or maybe just like what could be happening in the life of a volunteer. And then I try to find different um, online resources like articles or TED Talks or just encouraging videos that could make sense um, at different points throughout the year. Mm -hmm. And then I plan all of those out. So 50 of those every week uh, for the whole year and put them in a spreadsheet. And then every week when I'm going to send an email, I just pull it out of that spreadsheet um, so that I have a helpful tool I'm giving them every single week. So, yeah. That's what that looks like for me. That's good. Um, L, I do want to start wrapping up here shortly, um, but could you just touch on real quick, um, how can these seven different tactics fit into different contexts, whether it be small, medium, large church? Do, do any of these different uh, tactics fit into different contexts in different ways? Yeah, I think um, some of that is just going to be primarily just the frequency that you have to do these things. Um, so in my opinion, at least from what I've seen, uh, it seems like the bigger your church gets, the harder it is to do in-person meetings with everyone. Mm -hmm. And so you need to be more strategic about like how often you get people together. When you have a smaller context, it's easier to do like monthly meetings or even like weekly huddles before the service. Um, so I think the seven things stay the same, but just the frequency might change. Um, I talked about that a little bit with the discussion groups, like it kind of depends in the conversations, like how many volunteers you have depends how often you have to do this. Um, but I would say the meetings is the one that uh, the frequency can really change a lot depending on the size of your, uh, of your church. 
but really I feel like the rest of it still makes a lot of sense regardless of, you know, what size church that you're working with. Yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things about the tactics that you named and some of the strategies behind those is that really some of these things aren't as costly as, as you might think they are. You know, yeah. for example, right. I think of the celebrating volunteers and, and doing weekly thank you cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something you just buy. You buy a box of thank you cards to, mm-hmm. at the store and just have them at your desk. Yeah. Every week, just pull one out and, and do it. And so some of these things, I think there's this, you know, there's often this, this myth in, in smaller or medium sized churches where, Oh, well, I could, I could never do that because I just, I just don't have the money to, and, and, and sure the the scale of some events and the scale of some things might differ, but, but really a lot of these things can be done for free or for very low cost. And so that's one thing that I, that, that I, I just love about these tactics and the strategies that you all developed behind them. And so one, one last question for you, Elle. Um, if sort of in, in the same scenario, if I'm a youth worker and I'm sitting down and I have these seven things in mm-hmm. front of me, or maybe, maybe even a, a new youth worker who's just getting into this, who, who maybe is meeting their team for one of the first few times or is really getting serious about doing this kind of stuff for, for one of the first few times in their ministry. I know all seven are important and, and it's so important to get them on the calendar and do that. But what would be like the next two or three steps that you would give that youth worker who's starting sort of at like the first, like first level here, like, yeah. like, like, like ground zero, first floor. Um, what would be like two or three next steps that you would give that you would advise to, to do to get yeah. some of these things off the ground and get them going? Yeah. I'll tell you based on my experience, because when I came into our middle school ministry, I didn't know hardly any of the volunteers. Mm-hmm. And so my job was to both pastor and manage them. And so the very first thing I did was I scheduled coffee with every single person on the team. Uh, and so I would say, number one, do those one-on-one conversations first, uh, because what you can do in those conversations is you can do, you, there's like an assessment that goes both ways where you can assess the volunteer but you can also ask them to kind of assess the ministry up until this point and they can get a feel for you. You can get a feel for them and just figure out, Hey, are you the right fit moving forward? Um, I'm both like on both ends. Like, do you still want to be in this in like the current season of ministry that we're in? Uh, and so I would say start with the one-on-one conversations um, and just be like, you know, build relationships, but also be really strategic about the information that you share and like the vision that you share and make sure that you're, philosophically and strategically on the same page with all of those volunteers. Um, I, when I came in, I had 65 volunteers on the team at that point. So that was my whole summer, wow, <laughs> 65, wow. 65 coffee dates, Whew, but I'm glad I did it. It was really a lot fun. of coffee. It was a lot. I was real wired for the whole summer. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. Um, so I would say do that first. Um, I think in conjunction with that, when it goes to, uh, when we talk about volunteer tools, I think those things need to happen somewhat simultaneously. Uh, the first thing that we put together was a volunteer handbook. And so when I went to those one-on-one coffee conversations with all of those volunteers, I brought the handbook with me mm-hmm. and it gave it to them. And that handbook had, um, our ministry philosophy, strategy, core values. It had code of conduct, expectations, all of that stuff. And so we literally went through that handbook together. Um, so I would say those are the first two most important steps to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, after that, I think just establishing like, hey, what's going to be the best rhythm for getting everyone together uh, in meetings is probably the next best thing that you can do. Um, and you don't like for communication, get real good at that real fast. Um, 
because they're going to, especially if you're brand new to a ministry, they need to hear from you often uh, in order to trust you and to know that you're reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure you've got yourself a good rhythm. And when you're doing those conversations with them in the very beginning, I would recommend asking them like, Hey, what's the best way you want to hear from me? Do you check your email? Do you want me to text you? Like what's the best kind of thing that I can do here to stay in touch with you? Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I would start is sort of those, those four are probably the, the most important things to begin with. I think tools, conversations, uh, meetings and communication. That's awesome. Those are, those are some really great action steps. And actually by the time this podcast airs, I'll be making my transition down to a new ministry, uh, which I don't know any of the volunteers. I don't know the, the whole context of the ministry. Um, you know, I haven't been there. I've been in there in person, but um, those are some really great action steps. And I think, uh, you know, I'm going to definitely schedule lots of coffee dates. (laughs) Yes. Love it. If you need a volunteer handbook, hit me up. I got you. For sure. Perfect. Well, Elle, thank you so much for joining us. This was, this was great. Um, So much practical advice and wisdom and, and just strategic thinking behind volunteer training and equipping. And, and our prayer for our prayer for those of you that are listening is that um, volunteer training and, and equipping would, would seem a little less frightening, a little less intimidating, and, and a little more practical when, when just thinking with a strategic mindset. So Elle, thank you again so much. Um, thank, thank you for joining you. us. It's been great having you. And thank you all for listening. Matt, do you have any final words? Um, any final words for our friends listening? Uh, yes, um, Elle, thank you again. It was awesome having you. Um, and I just, I just hope for those that are listening, um, we kind of over the last two episodes kind of, uh, I guess relieved pressure off of your shoulders on recruiting volunteers, which I know is a, you know, not something a lot of people love to do, but something that needs to be done. Um, and I hope we relieved a little bit of pressure on, uh, the training and equipping side of volunteers. Awesome. Well, thank you all for listening. We will see you in our next episode, episode four. So stay tuned for that. We love you all. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us.